You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with your hosts, Andy Grant and Apio Hunter. Real Men Feel is all about encouraging men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to opening up discussions that most men aren't having, but you certainly don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel podcast is produced live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern for your growth and enjoyment. You can find more information about the Real Men Feel movement at realmenfeel.org. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. This is a weekly program and your comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in the Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello and welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant, and this is episode 68. Um, exciting, 68. <laughs> we're coming to you, we're recording this live on September 26th, and today we're going to be talking about that, the very delightful and fun topic, um, not really, <laughs> but it's about surviving childhood sexual abuse. And, you know, I try to bring some humor and make light of things, so this may be triggering, this may touch things, but we're also going to have to have some lightness, and, and I will make fun of my experiences, because that's how I best get through them. Because um, I actually, I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse myself. And uh, one of the thing, one of the reasons um, Apio and I started this show is to get men speaking. Because shame requires secrecy. Right? And I also find that shame is something that really fuels the feeling of being isolated, the feelings of being a victim. So when we take any issue out of the shadows... And this program takes issues out of the shadows by talking about them. That lessens the impact and the way that you're sharing your experience, your feelings, it, it makes healing possible. So, you know, I've, for a long time, I couldn't talk about being molested. Now I can throw it out and get into details and I'm not really bothered because I don't have shame around it anymore, right? Because there's no secret about it. So that's why I'm excited to talk tonight. Uh, our guest is uh, was actually a fan of the show, communicated with Appy and I, and they said, hey, let's, let's have you on. Um, so before we get much further, let me introduce co-host Apio Hunter. Hey, hey. It's great to be here tonight. <laughs> it's, it's as always. <laughs> oh, I love that pause. That was awesome. <laughs> so I've been, I, I'm, I was, I'm potentially waiting until now to ask you... So, I don't recall. Do you have an experience with, with sexual abuse? Not personally, but um, there, there has been that in my family, yes. So I am aware of how it can, you know, really affect somebody, but also, um, you know, strengthen the person's character as well. I've seen it through those who have survived it in my own family. So, so yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, I've said in many past shows that, like, my favorite shows are when we have uh, just a regular guy come on and just talk about their own experience, their journey, uh, their growth, what, what they're doing to help other men grow. And uh, tonight is just really one of those. So uh, tonight we're welcoming regular guy and blogger and, and survivor of his own childhood sexual abuse experiences, Mr. Brendan Rowe. 
Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me on. It's really our pleasure. Um, so you just, you, uh, from, from talking, we've got a bit of things in common. I know you discovered the Mankind Project, which has been a subject of the show a few times, and that kind of led you to discovering this, this very program. Yes. Yeah, it did. Um, I, I did my New Warrior Training Adventure weekend and was kind of riding the high and came home and was Googling it, and that led me to a video you posted after you did your first staffing. And that was how I found that was how I found the show. And then I fell down the rabbit hole and was clicking play on every old episode I could. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That, that's my favorite rabbit hole. <laughs> so, so was it at, at your mankind? And for people that don't realize, the new warrior training is a three-day intensive male-only rite of passage. Rite of passage. Yeah. yeah. Um, discovering that, you know, whatever you're willing to share that it's, it's not judged, it's supported. So is, is that where, is that where you kind of had some insight about your own background? Yes. Um, you know, my background of childhood sexual abuse was over a very long period of time. It was over almost a 10 year stretch, um, which, I never really forgot it. I never really put it out of my head, but I, I managed to find a way to push it away and actively work to not remember it. And I never talked to anybody about it. I never told anyone as a child. I never told anyone as an adult. And it was on that Mankind Project weekend where I was standing in front of another man and all of a sudden, I, for the first time in my life, um, 33 years after it started, I was standing in front of another man telling him what my stepfather did to me. And it just, it opened Pandora's box. Um, once I started talking, once the secret was out, um, realizing that I wasn't mocked, I wasn't judged, I wasn't shamed, none of the responses that I'd conditioned myself to expect. Um, to admitting what I saw as a kind of weakness. You know, I must have been weak for that to happen. So to tell another man that this that I was weak and that this happened to me, I was expecting all kinds of negative responses I didn't get. And um, it also had another side effect. I went home to my regular men's group and found out that more than half of my group were survivors as well. And when I started talking about my experiences, they started talking about theirs. Yeah. And wow. I find that time and time again with, with, with friends as part of the show, as part of groups and retreats, what the, the first time, man or woman, the first time a human being admits, confesses, lets some shame, some secret out, yeah. it just, it's met by, oh, that gives everyone else that same permission. Yeah. And, and especially as men, when it, when it comes to something that we're judging and, you know, um, again, I kept, I, my abuse happened when I was like five years old. I didn't have a conscious memory of it until I was 20. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you, I didn't talk about it. I obviously separated out, kept it far apart. And even then I still didn't like go, Hey, how you doing? I just remembered I was sexually abused. Like it wasn't a top of mind thing. It wasn't a, how do you do? Nice to meet you. Kind of a, a, a tale. But whenever I did, was always greeted by someone else able to, to take their own walls down. Yeah. 
And, and how did that, that first time you did that, how did that feel to you to get that, that response? Um, it took a minute for it to register because the entire time I was talking, there was a voice in my head saying, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> it, as it was coming, I was trying to stop myself as I was saying it, um, trying desperately to hit the brakes and it wasn't working. The words were out. It was too late. And, you know, it, it's hard to describe the feeling when, when you've been taught and conditioned from such a young age that it's your secret, it's your shame, it's your guilt, it's yours to carry. You need to keep your mouth shut because nobody's going to believe you and you're going to be the freak. To not get that response when the secret is out, I was just kind of stunned. I, I didn't know what to do with it. I was so prepared for such a negative reaction. And I, I still have that problem. I mean, this, this was March of this year. Uh, it's only been a few months. And being met with understanding and support and compassion sometimes throws me off more than if somebody would just point at me and say freak. <laughs> Yeah, it, like it's, some way, it's harder to deal with. Right. If, you, if, if we're held back by a negative expectation, you know, having it not happen can be as jarring or more jarring because it's not what you expected, yeah. like you said. Yeah. I think part of it also has to do with the fact that in our society, the only, the only thing that we're really exposed to, whether it's through social media or general media or even in you know, family discussions around the dinner table or whatever, is the fear, the judgment, the shame and everything else because it's the only thing that we've ever really known or been exposed to. And when we make that conscious choice to step out and to step into like a safe environment, such as the new warrior training weekend and, and putting yourself out there, that's when we really experience that there is the other side to it. There's that other side of the acceptance, the love, the understanding. And it's like, you know what? You have a place here. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So, so over the course of that weekend, like, I don't know at what point in the weekend you, you shared your experience, but did, did the sharing keep happening? Was, was there like the next stage is like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Was, did you have a back and forth of, of this is great or this is bad or how was that? It, it was kind of near the middle um, for me. And it was um, the support just kept continuing. And, um, you know, I was treated like everyone else. Every man there had something they needed to get off their chest. And I, I wasn't weird. I wasn't a freak. I wasn't, you know, every man there had their own shame, their own guilt that they carried into that weekend um, that they were able to give voice to. And it there was something wonderful and terrifying about being just treated like one of the guys. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So when you, you came home from that weekend, um, you, you said you then talked to your, you were in a men's group already. Yeah. 
and you shared with them. And then this summer you started your, your blog. Um, yeah. Hmm? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, shortly after the weekend, like I said, I opened Pandora's box. I, I gave, I gave the abuse of voice. I gave the memories of voice. I acknowledged them for the first time in decades. And once that door was open, they wanted out. Hmm. Nightmares, flashbacks. And when I say flashbacks, I mean full on 360, you know, all your senses reliving it, not just remembering it. And just the memories, the flashbacks, the nightmares. Hmm. Ten, 10 years of almost nightly sexual assault by my stepfather just came crashing back into my mind. I, I'd had a dam up for so long and it just came down after I disclosed. And that's where the blog came from was from a need to get it out of my head. And the only way I knew how to get it out of my head was to get it out there. Hmm. And that was, that was the only way I knew how to do it was to tell my story and to let other men know that they're not alone because I didn't realize how alone I felt until I was in a group of, in a group of men sharing it and them sharing their stories back and just, <sighs> sorry. <laughs> no, don't never, never apologize to us for feeling something, my friend. Especially here. What's been the response? What's the feedback since you've really gone so public with with the blog and your story? Um, you know, on the blog itself, there's still such a stigma attached that I hear from a lot of men that I interact with through social media, through closed and secret groups on Facebook, where they feel a little more comfortable talking. They'll reach out to me through messenger. They'll reach out to me in a way that's not so public. So on my blog itself, it looks like I'm not getting a lot of response, but if you look at my messenger box, I'm getting a lot of response from men who are saying, Thank you for talking about that. I feel that too. I did a blog where um, one of my posts was about the anger that was coming up and the anger that I was feeling and talking about how the anger felt good and it felt powerful. I, you know, it was what happened to me was seriously messed up and I need a chance to be angry about it and I need to let myself feel that. And I got so many responses from so many men saying, thank you for telling me that it's okay to be angry. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's responses like that, that I've been getting. Um, and from friends, um, a lot of friends and the men in my men's group and, you know, so much support. So, you know, just um, hearing from them, they've been following along and showing support that way. Um, Has it been all positive so far? No. Feedback? No, okay. What? Um, you know, my mom's side of the family is, um, well, I nicknamed my mom Cleopatra a long time ago because she's the queen of denial. <laughs> um, and it's genetic. 
Um, and when I first started sharing in my own private social media, where a lot of my mom's relatives were there, when I started sharing about the abuse and actually named my stepfather as my primary abuser, um, one of my uncles actually posted something. His son was at a Cub Scout camp that my stepfather helped build. And after I had shared publicly and he had, you know, done the Facebook reactions and I knew that he'd seen the posts, posted something, a picture of the camp saying, look at what my late brother-in-law built. What a beautiful legacy he left for young boys. And in that's how deep the denial runs in that family. Hmm. And I don't know if it's because now they're thinking, should they have known, should they have seen something when I was young, when they might've been able to stop it. I don't know if the denial is a way for them to deal with guilt they might be feeling or if they really just don't give a damn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know them. I would be willing to go out on a ledge and say, it's not because they don't give a damn. It's, you know, everyone's denial is to keep them from feeling pain. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I know, again, when I, I realized and, and taught, told my parents at age 20, you know, they both felt horrible. And looking back, my mom would say that she could see a change, but they thought it was at the same time that my parents got divorced. So they thought, oh, little Andy's messed up because we're getting divorced. That's what's happening. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if hindsight uh, can be torture. Yeah. Right? And. You know, it, it's just a side effect, you know. There's a voice I've carried with me for a long time that I must be worthless. Because if I was worth anything, then how could something like that go on for so long? How could no one save me? And the only explanation I could come up with was I wasn't worth saving. And that's something that I carried with me my entire life. And it's only been the last few months, and a large part of that was keeping that secret, was holding on to that shame that wasn't mine. And as, I, a, as a child, keeping it secret, was it a part of it to kind of keep the family together and not, you know, not lose the abuser and the family or fear of what people would say? I have heard that from other men who are survivors. Um, where it was a close family member, but um, there is a there is a post um, on my blog called "Why I Didn't Tell," and I I actually at the age of five, you know, I was in kindergarten. We had our first stranger danger bad touching, um, you know, big uh, assembly. That's the word I was grasping for. Um, and I came home and I could tell what my stepfather wanted. And I just came from this assembly where they told me that bad touching is wrong and you just need to say no. So I said no. And it was one of the most violent experiences with him that I ever encountered and he almost killed me. And I spent most of my childhood after that incident 100% believing that if I told anybody I was dead. And when I started getting older, when I started getting bigger, I had a little brother that I was trying to keep safe. 
and I was allowing myself to be a human shield to keep my stepfather away from my little brother. And it was, it was never about keeping the family together. It was about keeping me and my little brother safe from the monster that lived in our house. Do you have any idea if, if he did, um, if he was molesting other, other boys as well besides you? Um, I've had um, one flashback that came up where um, when I was really little, um, where one of my stepfather's best friends, um, he, my stepfather and his best friend decided to trade me and his friend's son. Um, and they were abusing both of us at the same time. And, um, and I have that question, you know, he was very involved in Cub Scouts. He was very involved in Boy Scouts. And I wonder what his intention was. I wonder what his reason was for being so involved in an organization that was meant for young boys. What, what, what finally had these experiences come to an end? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure if it was because I hit puberty, um, because it stopped shortly before my 12th birthday, which is about the time I started shaving. Um, but I also remember my stepfather complaining that my mom was putting on weight and why would he want to touch such a fat pig? I remember hearing him say that and that triggered something in my mind and I started eating everything in sight to try to make myself as fat and unappealing to him as I possibly could. So I don't know which one it was, but shortly before my 12th birthday, it just stopped. And then, um, you know, until right after my 16th birthday, my mom was trying to figure out why I was 16 and I never talked about girls and I never had girls over and why wasn't I acting like a normal teenager? And, you know, she decided, oh, he must be gay and told me that she needed to talk to my stepfather about it because she didn't know what to do about it. And the only thing running through my mind was my mom's going to tell my abuser that I'm gay he's going to take that as a green light that I liked what he was doing and start up again. So I literally packed a bag that day, walked out, never went back and never gave him another chance. I just want to take a moment and commend you, your bravery and courage, um, your strength in surviving that your strength in sharing it now. Um, really? Cause again, We've talked about it earlier. We talked about it besides this, that, that your willingness to share this, your willingness to go there to touch the points of pain gives permission, lets other guys know they're not alone. You know, I, I was shocked to discover that it, it's now believed to be like one in six men have been the victim of sexual abuse before they were 18 years old. And that's only based on reported cases and with 
there being so much more stigma attached to male survivors versus female, I honestly believe that number is a hell of a lot higher. Yeah, I do too. But that's yeah. based solely on reported cases. Yeah. Like I said, my men's group, there's about 13 men in my men's group, and I know of seven of us that, have, that fall into that category. And, you know, uh, that doesn't really line up with one in six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that, that scared me the most was, you know, the story, tell me if you've heard of this a lot too, that, uh, you know, most abusers were abused themselves. Yeah. So once I had memory, I was like, oh, crap, now I'm going to do this. Like, I just thought, oh, it's cause and effect. There's no way off of this, of this pattern. Yeah. And that's, that's a really common fear that a lot of survivors have. Um, it's for me, it's not the fear that I might become an abuser. It's the fear that other people will have that judgment. I don't have any children. I limit my involvement around children, not because I have any instinct that I might hurt them, but it's that fear that if somebody finds out I'm a survivor, then they're going to think that that immediately makes me a threat to their child. And I think there's another assumption that's been that made that's made also that we probably need to bring out as well as that, and that is that's not not all abusers are men, right? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, and, that, and that that's a common misconception that you know men or boys can't be raped or assaulted by a woman, right? Right, and yeah, it just uh, you know there's kind of the I think of the issues where, uh, you know, a high school teacher goes out with a younger boy and like, Oh, good for him. Good job. And way to go, buddy. And like, no, it's not, it's not, you know, it's a damaging thing. Right? A, a lot of the, well, I shouldn't say a lot cause there's not a lot, but among the resources for male survivors, you hear the language a lot, unwanted sexual experiences, because, and a lot of times what I found is a lot of that language gets used with female perpetrators, because it is hard for people to wrap their minds around the fact that a woman could force a boy or a young man to do something he doesn't want to do. So by reframing it as unwanted sexual encounters or unwanted, you know, sexual experiences, it's a way for them to acknowledge that, you know, that a female perpetrator did have a negative impact on their lives um, without, you know, it's, it's an, it's a male instinct. We don't want to look weak. Right. And calling it an unwanted experience versus abuse makes it sound like, oh yeah, I didn't want that, but I wasn't weak about it. Right. We're supposed to want every sexual experience with a woman, right? They're all good. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that you know, I'm that's why I'm so glad that these conversations are now taking place and they're taking place more openly. Because we yeah, it's just 
so important to be able to break down those walls. You know, in fact, we're a former guest on, on, on our show, um, Nige Atkinson, you know, has his own blog, has, has his own podcast now about breaking the vow of male silence, his book and so forth. And I think it's, it's, I've listened to it. It's absolutely amazing. And, you know, to have multiple conversations on that subject, to be open about it, to talk about it, to give men permission to, yeah. to you know stop feeling the stigma yeah. and instead say hey i'm a man this happened i'm still a man yeah. yeah yeah and to be honest until until i actually started talking about it mm-hmm. until i said it out loud for the first time until I started writing about it in my blog, until I started talking about it in a men's group. Till five months ago, I never felt like a man. There was so much shame um, in the silence. And that shame kept me from feeling like a man. I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't a man. I was Peter Pan. Yeah. 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 I, I was a boy who couldn't grow up because to me, mm. a man was just somebody who was strong and living in that shame. I just felt weak. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. In fact, Laurie put a comment here in the chat that I think is very, very, um, important to bring out and love to hear your thoughts on it because you know, Laura's comment is that it's intriguing that it seems that men talking about this abuse is decades behind women being able to talk about it. Now, how women used to say that date rape instead of just plain old rape. And we have, we, you know, it's, it, we are in the process, we as men are in the process of easing into the shifts of abuse. And you are seeing that a lot. Um, a lot of the campus aware, sexual assault campus awareness campaigns are highlighting that I think I just saw a statistic sometime today, like 30-some percent of college, male college freshmen will experience some kind of sexual assault on campus. Um, Oneinsix.org, one of the main um, awareness campaigns for male survivors in the U.S., um, is working with United States military to address um, the growing number of male sexual assault survivors um, and giving them resources that they need. It's, um, you know, my experience with this was as a child, but Mm -hmm. just because you're an adult doesn't mean that you can't be the victim of sexual violence as well. And that's really starting to come out more too. Um, slowly, but I really think it's important that conversations like this happen, that we talk about it, that we talk about our experiences, that we talk about what happened. Um, you know, and what's, what's been the most beneficial thing in your own healing and your, and your feeling command in the past few months? Is there one thing? Not keeping his secrets anymore. Mm-hmm. It's realizing that so much of 
what I've carried was never mine to carry. And yeah, telling his secrets, telling on him, you know, um, I have a series that's gone a little dormant because I've been having a really rough time with the most recent one. But in my blog, I have a series called Flashback Friday where I literally share my flashbacks. I bring people into what it's like to re-experience a full-on, all, all senses, 360, surround sound, reliving it. And it hurts like hell. It's scary as hell. And I literally sit there for 10 minutes with my finger over the mouse trying to figure out if I'm going to hit publish again this time. And every time I do, it's like a weight shifts. It's like a piece of his crap that I've carried for so long just falls off. And the response that I get for every response I get to anything else on my blog, I get 10 responses to one of those, to actually sharing a real experience, not talking in circles, not talking around it, shining a light on the reality of the horror that a boy goes through being a victim of sexual abuse. And because whether it's other survivors or whether it's people who have never experienced it, I have a friend I've known since high school and she wrote to me and said, after the first one of those that I, that I put out there, that it was so eye-opening to her and she had no idea in reading that she felt like she had a much larger understanding of what I was dealing with. And I keep saying the point of my blog is to let other survivors know they're not alone. Let them know that other men know what they're going through, have been through it or healing through it. But it was kind of an unexpected side effect to kind of raise awareness for loved ones, raise awareness for people who haven't experienced it and to have them tell me that they think they get it. <laughs> and it's, But that's something that took a lot of work on my part. I want to talk in circles. I want to talk around it. I don't want to talk about it. Well, I, I don't believe that anymore. That might be an old story of yours, but I don't, I don't buy that anymore. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, and that's, that's been one of the changes because I find, you know, these are really old wounds. Yeah. And, you know, it's what do you do with an old wound? Sometimes you got to cut it back open and actually heal correctly. Let yeah. it breathe. Yeah. And sometimes the only way to do that is to really, is to really give it voice. Have, have you ever been in a place or a time that you doubted your memories or doubted these flashbacks, thought you were kind of just making some aspect of this up at all? Um, I might have, but the first flashback that came up came from – it's tied to my earliest memory. 
so inextricably that because I know the other half of that memory to be 100% true, that it kept me from doubting the other half. The, f the first time I was sexually abused by my stepfather was the day my baby brother was born. My earliest memory is of being in the hospital and being mad that I couldn't take my baby brother home with me because he was preemie and he couldn't leave. And my mom had cancer and she had to stay in the hospital. So that's how I ended up alone with my stepfather. So what was my earliest and happiest memory of my life was on the same day as when my nightmare started. And, you know, I went from over the moon that I had this new friend to play with. And the day ended with me curled up in a ball in the bottom of a shower bleeding down the drain because my, because my stepfather had just raped me and I was three. And just little things. Every time I start to doubt one of the memories, there's something in those flashbacks. There's something in those nightmares, something in those memories that I know was true about my past. And a lot of people that I've talked to, and there's no difference whether you experience sexual abuse once as a child or a hundred times. It scars you, it damages you. But our mind has a wonderful ability to heal itself if it's only happened a smaller number of times. When it's an almost nightly thing, your mind can't cover that up. Right. You can't. My mind that couldn't off. cover that up. And it wasn't that I didn't remember, it was that I didn't want to. I was, I spent my entire life pushing those memories away. It's not that they weren't there. It's that I just didn't want to let my mind go there. I doubted. And it, like, I didn't remember until I was 20. And then there were like, you know, TV shows and stuff talking about, you can't trust children's memories of things. And that was all the rage. So I really grew up like, well, can I believe this? You know, did this happen or not? And uh, so I think at age 30, I went to a hypnotist. Yeah. And asked to be hypnotized and I'm like yeah it it happened like it was that was the closest to kind of the, that intense holy crap I'm living through this this yeah I didn't make this shit up and it took a long time to to get back from that even like all right now you're awake and I was like I'm not in prayer yet and it took a long time but um you know that was another you know that for, for me that the two fears were all right I've been abused and that makes me abuser and the second fear was that, oh, I'm making this up. You know, no one will believe me. Or did I make this up? Do I need some reason to explain why I'm this suicidal mess? And like, oh, did I see on TV about childhood rape? Oh, good, that happened to me. Now I'm all set. And but no, it it, it happens. And it happened, you know, more than I'm. I'm sure it happened more than I remembered it so far. But because then it's not as vivid. Like I don't. I don't remember anything in my life until I was like six years old. Yeah. And I just thought everyone was like that. And then I meet people like you. Like, oh no, when I was three, this happened. Like, oh. 
And I don't know that my memory would be that clear if it hadn't been so tied to what was supposed to be such a happy memory. Right. Yeah. And it was, you know, I just, yeah. Is there anything, if there's someone listening, if there's a, a, a young boy somehow hearing this, in a situation like you were, is there anything in hindsight that you could have done to end it sooner? Is it, you know, was there someone you could have talked to or was it just that you didn't feel safe anywhere? Looking back, it was that story I told myself, you know, if I was worth something, somebody would stop this. I was a child, you know, I was a child living in fear. My stepfather scared the hell out of me. And there was more than once I thought I was going to die. And there was more than once I wanted to. And looking back as an adult, it wasn't my job to speak up. It was their job to pay attention and notice. For so much of my young life, I had so much what was supposed to be a close-knit, close-loving family, extended family, all within miles of each other, all around, all the time. And if anybody noticed, nobody did a thing. And I don't know what's worse, that they were so oblivious they didn't see it or that they saw it and didn't speak up. That actually brings up an interesting question that I have been... You don't actually have to answer this, Brendan, because it may be a very difficult question for you, and that is something But I just feel very, very strong that needs to be asked. How much pushback did you get from your stepfather's family, either during those years of abuse, what were they like, and since you have shared the story, Um, you know, it's, I have a stepsister that I was very close to when I was younger, Mm -hmm. but with the exception of her, I have almost no interaction with my stepfather's family. Um, being raped by three generations of that family was enough. (laughs) Um, And while I've been fairly public the last few months, my actual name is attached to my blog. I'm doing this show right now. Mm -hmm. I'm sharing it on my social media. Um, I, I still haven't told my mom or my little brother. I still haven't told them. They live in the woods in the middle of nowhere where you can't get internet to save your life. Um, After my uncle's little stunt um, praising my stepfather, after I disclosed my abuse to my family on social media, I cut most of my mom's family off of my social media Mm -hmm. because so many of them were so quick to jump onto the post and talk about what a great guy my stepfather was. After over a month of me sharing on Facebook what he'd done to me, Right. Um, so I, 
made friends with the unfriend button. <laughs> and most of the people who would see it and would talk to my mother about it, um, they can't see it anymore. And I don't think it serves their denial to be the one to bring it up to her. Do, do you have any desire to share it with them, either of them or both of them? Do you want them to know? Do you want to have a conversation? feels like with my mom, it's more a confrontation. How do you let your son get raped under your own roof for 10 years and not know and not do anything about it? Right. And part of me wants to have that conversation and part of me is terrified of it. Sure. From the little that you've described of him, it's, it could very well be, and this is again, pure speculation on my part, but the, what little you've shared about his, his violent nature as well as his abuse. It could be that she lived in fear uh, herself. I'd like to think though, if I had a small child, I would put my fear for myself aside and do something mm -hmm. to save my child. I would feel the same way as you, and I actually do feel the same way as you. So, yeah, I understand completely and, where you're coming from. You know, um, my stepfather's dead and gone. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes it feels like my little brother and his children have canonized him in death. Hmm. And how do you have that conversation with your little brother and your best friend? You know? What are you doing lately? Oh, telling the whole world what a horrible monster your father was. How about you? How do you have that conversation? Right. And, you know, they were the two people living in that house while it was going on. So if you've never had the conversation with your brother, uh, Lori's asking this in the chat, like, are you afraid it happened to him too? Do you have, you have, without that conversation, you don't know if he went through anything similar ever and when I was a boy and when I was still living at home, my little brother was literally never out of my sight because I was so afraid for him. And the only time that he was out of my sight was if I was alone with his father. And when I left home at 16, my little brother was 13 at that point, and he was already older than I was when my stepdad stopped touching me. And that was part of what gave me the strength to walk away and leave home was I felt like my little brother was old enough where he wasn't appealing to my stepfather anymore mm -hmm. and that he wasn't at risk. And, you know... I left home at 16. I never went back. And I'm 37 years old. And not once has my mother ever asked me why I left. Wow. The only explanation I can come up with for that is you don't ask a question you already know the answer to. Right. She doesn't want the answer to that question, and that's why she hasn't asked it. Right. And, you know... Can you live with that? I mean, you have been. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm starting to slowly realize that 
just like I was carrying around a bunch of stuff that was his that wasn't mine to carry. Um, that there's stuff of hers that's not mine to carry either. Yeah, right. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. You don't need to carry her denial. You don't need to carry her reason or excuses. And yeah. But I mean, I'm sure there's pain. You're you're willing to feel your pain. Yeah. Everybody else. It isn't as brave of you as you isn't as willing to go there as you right isn't wanting to help others get through their version of fucking shit by being out there with yours mm-hmm. and you know what i'm what i'm finding is keeping it quiet carrying it that's what almost that's what almost killed me more than once you know I, I I tried and some would say succeeded in taking my own life. And I, I flatlined mm. and but the doctor actually called time of death before all the machines just started beeping. Um and you know, whatever the powers that be are threw me back. Um well, and about knowing you still got something to do here then. You know that. Right. <laughs> then boy and, are you doing it. And I just Keeping it on the inside and feeling so alone, feeling like no one could understand, feeling like nobody would care, just a huge part of the blog, a huge part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you guys tonight is to let other men know that that's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) It's you there are people who care. There are people who understand there is support. There is help. Yes. And it's finding it out has just kind of turned my world upside down and which is very disorienting, but considering my world was kind of upside down already, I guess it kind of turned it right side up. (laughs) (laughs) feeling better feeling healthy feeling loved and supported can feel as bizarre as hell when it's not what you're used to it's not what you expected didn't think you were worthy of it right yeah and and there are times you know where it really does feel like the support is so uncomfortable and overwhelming I mean, I'm, I'm still, there's still such a large part of me that's expecting what my stepfather told me would happen. You know, if you tell anybody, they won't believe you. You'll be a freak, a liar. Even if they do believe you, you're damaged goods. You know, why would you want anybody to know that that happened? The very, very typical lines that most abusers use in order to keep abusing their victims. Right. And the only way to move past those lies is to break this is to break that silence and speak up. Um, question from Lori. Um, yeah. how, how long ago did your stepfather pass? About four years ago now. Okay. Okay. Um, and that, that was a difficult conversation. Um, you know, um, with a family member, I don't want to go too specific, but conversation with a family member 
who upon reading my blog and seeing my story for the first time was furious that my mother had brought my stepfather into their home and as a mother refused to believe that there's any way that something like that could go on under my mother's nose for that long without her knowing. Indeed. And in my relative's mind, my mother knowingly brought a pedophile into their home and is no longer welcome in that relative's home. And it kind of made my blood run cold because at some point they're going to have to have that conversation with my mother when she tries to come over and see their children. And I know that's going to lead directly to an uncomfortable conversation I don't really want to have. Sure. But at the same time, this was a very close relative. Yeah. And given the response of so many of my relatives that were made aware through my social media of what happened, the fact that it never crossed her mind not to believe me. If she didn't believe me 100%, she wouldn't have been that angry. Indeed. Yeah. And there was something so overwhelming in that support. That was the response I wanted Mm. from my family. I wanted them to be angry. Mm. And she was the first person that I actually got that response from. And I was sad for her that she had those fears and that she was going through that. But that was one of the most supportive things that I'd, that I've experienced since I disclosed my abuse because there's no way she would have got that angry if she didn't believe me. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's a big fear in telling my mom and my brother is I don't think they'll want to believe me. Yeah. That's not up to you. Right. Right. Like it's, it's their decision. You, whenever it feels right to you, whenever it happens organically, here's what happened. And, and you know, it's that scary place of, of not owning their reaction. Right. Yeah. You can just go, here's, here's what went on. And, but, and the more, the more I share, the more I disclose, the more I write, the closer I'm getting to being in that place. But sometimes I have to put the brakes on and remind myself it's been five months. (laughs) (laughs) I told somebody about this for the first time. And, you know, I go from one second beating myself up because why aren't I better? (laughs) Why aren't I healed already? And then I do the math. (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're, you're, You're healing already. Not necessarily healed. Yeah. Completely ever. I don't know, but you know, but I, yeah. I, I share that, that fear and that thought, you know, but, yeah, but you know, sharing, you know, it's, I saw a picture. I don't know if it's a famous quote. I keep meaning to look it up and I haven't, but it's a picture I keep seeing on Facebook and it's kind of become my motto. Speak the truth. Even if your voice shakes. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do because I'm hearing back from other men that speaking my truth and sharing where I've been, where I'm at and the resources that I'm finding and sharing those with other men. It it's reaching people. It's, it's, it's reaching other men who know how this feels 
and letting them know that they don't have to be silent and they don't have to carry it by themselves. And there's something I have to add to that. And that is even with all the response and the wonderful responses that you're getting from people who are reaching out to you privately, there's also many, many more who feel that who haven't had the courage to actually reach out and express it. And so, you know, I have such great, great admiration for you that you are here, that you are speaking, that you are standing up, that you are claiming your voice, but more so that you are having, you are giving permission to everybody who buys into the myth that they need outside permission to speak. So thank you for being that voice. Thank you for giving them permission to speak. Thanks. So let's, your, what's your blog? What's your site, Brendan? Um, Thrivemail.blogspot.com. Um, and you, I know there you have resources, the, the groups that you found benefit from, they're all listed there. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm, that part, it actually says under construction. Um, the home tab has my blog posts. There's a tab at the top that has the Cliff's Notes version of my story um, from, you know, childhood to where I was at when I started writing the blog. Um, that's literally just called my story at the top and then I have a resources page and a reading list page and I'm working on fleshing those out um, they're literally on a global scale the resources that I'm finding for men you can count on your fingers with fingers left over is there are there any that stand out that you want to just mention call out right now one in six dot org um, they have a number of awareness campaigns. They have, um, on Mondays and Wednesdays, they actually have anonymous chats for survivors. Um, I want to say it's Thursdays. They actually have a chat for, a, um, for men who were sexually assaulted as adults um, that they just rolled out. So it's a great way for you to talk to other survivors. It's facilitated by trained professionals, but it's a way to remain anonymous until you're ready to speak with somebody face to face. Um, and there's malesurvivor.org that actually has a number of online forums for survivors that is also anonymous. You make a username and it's a place for you to go at any time and be able to connect with other survivors and talk about things. Cool. And um, one other one, um, it's out of Australia. It's livingwell.org.au. And they actually have, there really is an app for everything. They actually have a phone app for male survivors of childhood sexual abuse. The app is called Living Well. It has breathing exercises. It has a self-assessment you can do. It has tips for dealing with anxiety, PTSD, bad memories. There's literally an app for everything. Um, and I've, when the flashbacks and nightmares and memories were really hitting me hard, I, I found a lot of support in that app and a lot of you know, a lot of tips on things to do to try to, you know, address what you're feeling and what you're going through in the moment. And that was another great resource to let me know, okay, I'm definitely not alone because there wouldn't be an entire app with all these resources. 
on how to deal with exactly what I'm dealing with if nobody else had ever dealt with it. <laughs> so it was another great reminder that I wasn't alone. And that's the reminder that I really want to leave other men with through my blog, through this conversation. You're not alone. There are people who will believe you. There are safe places to tell your story. And you want to point out people to that again, you began in a safe private place that it was the new warrior training weekend with the mankind project. Um, yeah. They run those events often all over the world. They also run men's groups. So the, yeah. the first step doesn't have to be, or doesn't ever need to be a public blog. Correct. The healing, the sharing can be more intimate, can be more controlled. Absolutely. It, it was, it was what I, I did it because ever since I was a little kid, if I had something that was on my mind to the point where I couldn't concentrate, where it was wrapping around everything, writing it down, got it out of my head. Mm. And it just kind of combined with that urge to let other survivors know they're not alone. So if I'm writing it down anyway, <laughs> might as well put it out there where other survivors can see it. And if some Lori's put a comment in here, I want to make this known again too. If you're going through abuse right now, if you're the victim of anything, find a safe place. Let someone know. Be, be willing to speak up. It's, you, you don't have to suffer, right? It, it's not that you're not worth anything else. You know, yeah. look for that trusted friend, family member, someone outside of the person abusing you. And, uh, and also to add something that Lori put into the chat as well, and that is if you're a young person going through this, keep telling people until you find someone that will get you out of that environment. Yes. And yes. I, I was 36 years old before I told somebody. And the response I got, if I'd been nine, 10, 15, whatever, and had gotten that kind of response, I can't even begin to imagine the positive impact that would have had on my life. <laughs> so I 100% I agree, Lori. Um, yeah, if there's any, any young man who's seeing this, um, find that safe person, find that safe place. Um, the internet is a beautiful thing. So like I, I just listed some resources where you can go, you can be anonymous, you know, you can treat it like a practice run if you need to, you know, um, and just, and that being said, I understand how hard it is. Finding a safe person means trusting somebody. And being sexually abused as a child does a number on your ability to trust. So sometimes it's hard to know who that safe person is. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and you know, it's something I didn't talk about and not to discourage anyone from telling, but for boys, the abuser is almost always known to them and by and large it's someone outside of the home it's a minister it's a coach it's a teacher yeah. someone in authority someone that 
yeah, that and and that can, that can really mess with a young man or a boy's ability to know who to trust when the person when the perpetrator is somebody that you're taught you can trust, it makes it really hard to figure out who you can trust. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, if it's still going on, if you're still in danger, it, it might just be as simple as walking yourself into a police station. If you don't have any other options, if you're not sure who to trust, you know, and, but know and believe that you're worth it know and believe that you have a life and a future and reach out for help wherever you can feel safe to do so. Mm -hmm. And at any age. Yeah. Active abuse, memories of it. Again, the internet, there's, there were groups for everything. They can be anonymous. You can come yeah. forward and you can do the old fashioned thing and, and walk into the police station or find a, find a fireman, you know, find yeah. anyone that just like the hell. Yeah. Kid and this shit's happening. Yep. See, but be safe. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Whew. Well, Brendan, from the bottom of my heart, uh, thanks. Uh, and just that word is just pales in order to get across to you and just commend and honor your, your courage, your compassion, your vulnerability, your bravery, your your ability to thrive, right? The, the surviving is just getting by. You're way, be, you're way beyond surviving this, right? You're now turning it. It's you, you're using it. You've used it to create an extremely powerful man. So it, it, it yes. blows my mind that you didn't realize you were a man until the last five months. But, uh, I, I bet Appy and I would have seen that you were a man whenever we might have met you even before this. And you know, <laughs> you're just willing to show it now, right? You're you're willing to step into that bravery, that courage, that compassion that has got you here, right? Yeah. And and it that's that's really it, you know. Um not keeping the secret anymore, giving it a voice and I don't know that I would t would have taken it to this place if I hadn't been met so immediately with a number of other men whose response was me too. And you mean it's okay to talk about it? <laughs> yeah. And because that was a response I got from the men in my men's group almost immediately after I disclosed on my weekend and it just triggered something in me that so I really am not the only one who thought it was just me. I really am not the only one who was afraid to talk about it. And if me pushing past that fear and talking about it gets other men, other survivors talking about it, then it's worth it and somehow it's allowing me to find strength on the other side of that fear but it was pushing past that fear just to show other survivors other men that they're not alone to give them that reassurance that i wished i'd had a long time ago yeah beautiful uh Thanks once again for, for going public, for speaking your truth, for joining us tonight and, and sharing yourself so deeply and honestly. It is greatly appreciated. 
by listeners and viewers for years and years to come. <laughs> You're part of the Real Minfield legacy now, here for eternity. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And like I said, I've been following the show for quite some time. So um, it's it's been great to talk to both of you after watching so many of the old episodes. I kind of felt like I knew you already. And it went a long way towards um, putting me at ease going into this. And um, to Lori, thank you. I haven't been responding right away. Uh, seeing all the faces on my screen and seeing the chat box, I have been seeing what you're saying. And thank you for participating. And <laughs> if I ever do this again, I'll try to get a little better at multitasking. <laughs> we'll take care of that. We get all that yeah. thing in. You, you just be you. Man. You're gonna <laughs> you do um, you. Well, yeah. we're, and we're good. <laughs> cool. So again, thanks for everyone that joined us live. Thanks for uh, the the commenters. Um, in the show notes at realmenfield.org, we'll have, have links to, to Brendan's blog and the resources. And uh, yeah, it just really, whatever you're going through and you think it's only you, it's not. That's just what we find time and time again with whatever the experience is, whatever we think makes us weak or weird or the oddball or the freak. And yeah, no. Yeah. There's lots of oddballs and freaks that are glad to welcome us and give us a hug and realize we're not that freakish. We're just freaking humans and we're just men <laughs> feeling our shit and growing. And that's what it's all about. And uh, there is something so freeing in that. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, yes. Vulnerability on the other side of that fear is freedom. It's all good. Oh, again, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Apio. Thank you, everyone else. And, uh, whew. We'll be uh, we'll actually be back with another show next week on October third, talking to suicide attempt survivor Kevin Hines. Be sharing his story. He tried to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, he didn't try. He did jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, and he lived. One of the very few people to have survived that experience. That'll be our next show, October third. Um, until then, whew, speak from your heart. Be good to yourself. <laughs> and remember, real men feel right. Right on. Always. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org, join the Real Men Feel group on Facebook, and share what you thought of this show. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com and Apio Hunter at apiohunter.com.